Arkansas Row Crops Radio, providing up-to-date information and timely recommendations on row crop production in Arkansas. Welcome to the Weeds Are Wild podcast series as a part of the Arkansas Row Crops Radio. My name is Jason Norsworthy, and I'm a weed scientist with the University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture. Today, it's my pleasure to be joined by Dr. Prashant Jaha. Dr. Jaha is a research and extension weed scientist with Iowa State University. And again, he has statewide responsibilities within Iowa. Hey, Prashant, it's really good to have you on on this podcast here today. Thank you, Dr. Norsworthy. It's It's a pleasure to have this podcast with you. Uh, Rashawn, as you take a look at Iowa, I mean, you we're kind of getting late in the season here now. We haven't started harvesting a crop. We're still maybe a, a few months away from that in Iowa. Uh, we're closer to that here in the Mid-South in terms of corn harvest. Can you give me a little update as to what you're seeing in Iowa? So I, I, in Iowa, predominantly we have a total of like 22 to 23 million acres of corn and soybean more uh, more number of acres under under corn uh, so right now the corn is at the uh, at the i mean r8 past stage and the majority of our soybeans here are looking at we are looking at somewhere from r6 r7 stage uh, with regards to the growth so uh, we we have been pretty uh, hot and dry here uh, in iowa uh, the we generally get a pretty good precipitation in the uh, in the spring. We didn't get that in the month of May. We get pretty good rainfall. We didn't get that this year. So uh, that's that was kind of like a major challenge with regards to uh, farmers making decisions on planting and herbicide applications, right? So uh, majority of our herbicide herbicide pre-emergence soil residual herbicides that were applied. In, in corn or soybean, they were not very effective because there was no moisture in the ground to activate those herbicides. So uh, we had uh, more effective modes of action of herbicides in, in corn, but we are pretty much limited in terms of controlling some of our driver weeds like water hemp here in Iowa uh, in soybean. So uh, so uh, lack of activation of pre-emergence herbicides in soybean was a major concern for for majority of the growers across Iowa. Uh, and then that pretty much boils down to the fact that in the month of June, at the time of post-emergence herbicide applications, there was a heavy burden uh, or an extra burden on the post-emergence products, uh, whether it was 2,4-D in, in enlist beans or Dakemba uh, in extend beans. So, and then with the, we had the for the extend beans, I think. Uh, uh, there was a lot of acres, probably 40, uh, 50, 60 percent of the acres that were in extend beans this year. Uh, and uh, we had a cutoff date of June 30 for applying application of that came over the top. And uh, as compared to last year, I think uh, we had more problems with that came off target uh, drift or off target movement of that came this uh, this year uh, in Iowa, across Iowa. So it was pretty, uh, pretty uh, concerning for the growers this year, I would say. And uh, that was partly because we were hot and dry entire entire month of June. We probably had no day where it was more than 85, uh, less than 90 degrees, right? So we were, uh, so, and we had a very narrow window of application of the camber. So uh, that's where we saw a good bit of uh, off-target movement of the camber. So overall right now, <clears throat> Just because Dakemba alone is not uh, was not very effective in some of those fields, 
and soybean is is one of the uh, crops here where we the farmers are really dealing with herbicide resistance issues uh, also in corn but we have based on our survey we have five way resistant water ramp including glyphosate uh, uh, resistance here and HPPD as well as PPO inhibitors so yeah um, uh, we have some survivors of 240 and Akema, but again, uh, definitely a uh, lot of soybean fields right now. You will see the water hemp popping out of the, the soybean canopy. So, so, so yeah, so water hemp is really your <clears throat> pigweed. It's the pigweed of the Midwest. You know, for us here in the Mid-South, it's all about Palmer amaranth. Uh, for us, you're very familiar with uh, the Palmer amaranth here in the Mid-South. You've spent some time here uh, in the Mid-South. And, you know, when I take a look at our Palmer amaranth, we've got populations today that is really all about the multiple resistance. You touched on the, the HPPD in HPPD, PPO, the glyphosate, the ALS in terms of water hemp. And we've got those same issues here in the Mid-South. And we even have a population today, we've done some recent work where we had nine different modes of action that actually failed on a pigweed population we have here. So it's extremely scary to see that. And, you know, when you take a look at management, weed management in general, it's all really centered around soil seed bank management. And if we can drive those soil seed banks down, we're going to really it's going to benefit us in terms of the future populations or densities that we have in those fields, as well as the fact that we're really lessening the risk of herbicide resistance to evolve to the herbicide tools that we're using today. So that's really been kind of front and center in terms of my program, and not only my program, I would consider yours as well as some other programs across the U.S. It's all about the focus is driven more on really soil seed bank management. And with that, that's kind of where I want to focus a good portion of our talk today. And you've conducted some work there. We've done some work. And, you know, when you go back in my program, you go back probably seven, eight, um, maybe a little bit longer, uh, eight years ago now, nine years ago, I uh, spent some time in Australia. I was really excited to see about some of the research that was going on there, as well as some of the practices that were being implemented by the grower and growers. And with that, we came back and began to focus some on narrow windrow burning in soybeans, which is really a really a novel concept that hadn't been sure. tested here uh, in the U.S. And what we found was that we could take a chute, place it on the back of a combine, and we could windrow that material burn that material and in doing so we had 100 percent kill of palmer amaranth we had 100 percent kill of barnyard grass a major weed for us morning glory species etc but we also understand that there's some negative issues associated with with burning and with that we also began to look at things like the integrated harrington seed destructor a seed mill and we had we had some success i would say with some prototypes but when we actually got a meal and placed it on the back of the the combine or integrated it into it we had some difficulty running that that seed meal where we had green residue green palmer amaranth within the field and and dr jaha i know that you've done some work also over the past several years for instance chaff lining is a uh, a tactic that you've actually employed in some of your your research and tell us a little bit about about chaff lining and wh what that actually entails and some of the effectiveness you've had with it 
So we, yeah, that uh, that's a great question. Lot knows what the uh, we uh, started working with chaff lining. We actually got the chaff our chaff liner uh, from Australia, uh, and in, back in 2019, and we ran that chaff liner over several several hundred acres of soybean last year uh, in 2020. So what uh, what is a chaff lining so basically as as you talked about concentrating the the weed seeds right so that's the, the that's the main concept there so we are putting a baffle that separates the straw from the chaff and all the straw is still going to the straw chopper uh, as in a normal combine but uh, the, the majority of the weed seeds are in the in the chaff so the chaff is getting pulled out and goes to that chute and that uh, and which is basically concentrated in narrow windrows, as you said earlier. Uh, those were so we we were pretty successful in doing that. Uh, those chaff lines were like 20 to 24 inches wide by seven to eight inches deep in the fall of 2020. We came back this year uh, uh, and planted corn and soybean on top of those chaff lines, of course. And uh, there was not we were thinking like there will be a lot of there were some concerns from the growers like there will be a lot of off movement of those chaff lines because of the wind and other factors, right? So uh, there was not a whole lot of movement at all, I would say. Uh, over the period of the uh, winter coming to the spring, I think those chaff lines, chaff lines which were initially like eight inches deep, they were, they were probably more closer to the ground, probably two to three inches deep, yes. Yeah. So, and we saw uh, definitely a lot of, so we took some samples last fall and we collected a lot of weed seeds within uh, while we, uh, from the chaff line as we as the combine was passing through it, and we found uh, we were concentrating more than 95% of the weed seeds are uh, in that chaff line, out of that 35 foot uh, combine header width. So that's a so based on a based on our initial uh, calculations, I think we are reducing the spread of resistant weed seeds by 120th of an acre. By doing that so that's the one of the advantages and now the question arises because since it's a new technology for us in soybean production it was very widely used by australian as you mentioned uh, growers like 70 percent adoption among uh, uh, of chaff lining concept in australian system but they were more using it in the wheat based system right so so we uh, we were uh, testing it in in soybean and i think uh, this year we saw a lot of water hemp and other weed species emerging on those chaff lines, which is quite expected because you got everything concentrated. All the weed seeds are concentrated there. But one of the one of the things that we found, which was interesting, that is, is at the time of post application, whether it was corn or soybean, uh, our that, that chaff line act as uh, it it had a complementary role in terms of reducing the size or delaying the emergence of water hemp. And, and some uh, in that that emerged in those chaff lines. So because we because the uh, we monitored the temperature and moisture there, so it was cooler. So the water hemp came later, and then uh, there was some moisture. It was more uh, more moisture was there, so it helped majority of the seed bank to come out, uh, which was in the chaff line. And we saw that because of the delayed emergence at the time of post application, our water hemp plants were probably two or three inches. And then outside the chaff line, they were probably six to eight inches tall. So you see that now we are making our pre, uh, our post-emergence herbicide applications more effective, uh, right? Because that's, we're talking. That's interesting. Strong. It's interesting that yeah. So now you have 
uh, a more timely application of your post-emergence herbicides, at least within that chaff line. I would also expect because of the fact that you've concentrated that material, you're probably going to have a high degree of herbivory predation in that chaff line. You're probably going to get a good bit of, of fungal decay because of the residue uh, within sure. that. And I would just think overall loss from the soil seed bank is going to be much greater where you have that chaff line. And I do That's know as a result of the data that you've generated, you actually led an effort for which I uh, have had an opportunity at least to initially be uh, part of where we you wrote a USDA grant, uh, United States Department of Agriculture, a grant. And just recently, uh, we've been notified that funding is coming uh, to look at chaff lining as a tool uh, in Iowa, Arkansas, as well as uh, we've got a colleague over in Kansas that's going to participate in that project. And in addition to looking at chaff lining, uh, we're also looking at the Redicop seed mill. So we had some issues with the integrated Harrington seed destructor from the standpoint that it did not want to perform well where we had green residue. And I know last year uh, I purchased a Redicop unit. You now have a Redicop unit. And I was very pleased with the ability of that seed mill to run in soybean that was heavily infested with green uh, Palmer amaranth. I saw no issues in terms of the seed mill clogging or plugging. Uh, I don't have kill rates. We're going to do some work this summer to understand how much of that weed seed that we're killing. But you actually last summer or last fall uh, went in and, and collected some data as it relates to kill rates. You want to share some of that data with us? Yes. Uh, so we collected some, some uh, samples of the chaff that was coming out of those high, high, two high impact mills at the back of the combine. So, uh, and then we, we took those seeds and put them in for germination, trying to see like how much, how much loss of viability is occurring, how much is the, what is the efficacy in terms of kill rate. We also visualized those seeds under the microscope, digital microscope to see what kind of uh, water hemp seeds, which is one millimeter so small in size, like just like palm and amaranth as well, right? For for you guys, uh, we saw like more than more than ninety percent of uh, seed kill as a result of the weed seed uh, destructor running or that redicop model of the seed destructor running uh, through those soybean fields. So that was very encouraging. And one of the growers with uh, we used the combine and the redicop unit. He ran it over 550 acres of soybean last year so and had, uh, had no issues i'm assuming no issues there, with there were no issues with this redicop unit that we have heard from harrington seed destructor because they have put a roller also which helps to further uh, roll down or, or chop some of the green materials before it comes at the back of the combine so it, we didn't have any issues with plugging of the combine as a result we we monitored the speed and all those we were taking Close to the Redicop unit takes probably an additional uh, 40 horsepower, which is less as compared to the Harrington seed destructor. If I heard it was around 100, 120 horsepower additional. So we didn't slow down. Uh, I was sitting inside the combine with uh, with the grower and we didn't slow down a bit. Well, and, you know, I'm, I'm extremely impressed with this. You know, the Redicop unit is a unit that's coming out of Canada. It's one that's 
commercially available today. And again, we're trying to collect some data to help advise growers as to whether it's something that they should invest in. But this is a unit that uh, growers could go and contact Redicop directly and work with them in terms of obtaining uh, meals. I'm really excited to uh, hear you say that you had 90% keel. And, you know, you go back and you take a look at the work that Dr. Bradley's conducted up there in uh, in Missouri with, I think, Palmer, some of that may have been water hemp, where we know for a fact that we're getting 99% of those seed are retained on the plant. And with that, during the harvest process, yes, you're losing some of the seed on the reel, on the sickle, et cetera, but still a high percentage of those seed are coming into the combine and are being dispersed uh, back over that field. So from a resistance management standpoint, it's really exciting to see that we're able to kill at least 90% of those seed with a unit like the Redicop that you're that you're testing. You know, also yesterday, you know, we were sitting here and we had a conversation yesterday. I was asking you to take part in this podcast and you mentioned to me that you were out in the field yesterday and you were actually looking at use of the weed zapper. You were doing some research on the weed zapper and, you know, that's pretty fascinating technology there uh, in terms of killing, killing weeds. So while we're sitting here talking about novel ways of reducing the soil seed bank, tell me a little bit about your experience with the weed zapper. Yeah, I think uh, the weed zapper. Uh, we are working with Dr. Bradley on that, and and it's it's a pretty fascinating uh, piece of tool to manage herbicide resistant weeds and and preventing any seed bank additions during the growing season. So we used that yesterday in in soybean fields, where the uh, at this time of the year, basically that's where we are shooting for uh, using this technology because we don't want to cause a lot of damage to the soybeans or so all the soybeans, all the pods are well developed now. I mean, they are, uh, they are green pods and everything. So we don't expect a lot of in- injury to the soybeans. Of course, we are going to take some ill data uh, out of those uh, plot, out of that study, but water hemp, which is, so we were basically uh, running that zapper over the soybean canopy where the water hemp is still poking out of the canopy, right? So we are targeting those hitting all those inflorescence with uh, uh, 15,000 volts of electricity from that zapper unit. So the idea here is to kill all those weed, weed seeds that the water hemp plant is going to produce because uh, right now they were in the flowering stage and in the, in the seed set stage, they were not fully matured seeds there. So this is the right time to use that technology for weed zapper. So you'll go back, I'm assuming here in the in the next few weeks, actually collect some seed yes. from plants if seed were produced, and then you'll go into the lab and be able to look at really what percentage kill that you're having from a, not necessarily from the plant standpoint, but more from devitalizing those weed seed, those seed weed seed going back into the soil seed bank. Yeah, so working with Dr. Bradley on that, and, and there, there are other locations apart from Iowa, so it's, uh, so that I think that would be an interesting project uh, and one of the novel tools that growers can potentially use to manage herbicide resistance and prevent the seed bank addition. So in addition to talking about, you know, the USDA grant that we had funded, um, you know, I received 
There's several of us that received some funding through the United Soybean Board. Again, Dr. Bradley would be one of these, as well as myself, looking at, again, harvest weed seed control, the these uh, seed destruction mills to actually try to kill weed seed. And here just recently, uh, you're part of a grant, uh, as well as myself with Dr. Bradley, that was funded from the National Corn Growers Association. So in addition to soybean, we've got some focus in corn, trying to understand, is there any utility of these seed destruction mills, such as the Redicop, uh, to try to kill or destroy water hemp, as well as uh, Palmer amaranth. In addition to that technology, I know there's also some that's coming or some that's being tested out there today at looking at using light rays within the combine itself as a means of devitalizing some weed seed. And I haven't had a chance to work directly with that. I am somewhat though familiar with that technology and we can use any and every tool possible or we need as many tools as possible really to try to help us win this battle against Palmer amaranth as well as uh, water hemp. So I think we've kind of touched on several of the devices that we're using, some of the concepts that we're, we're using. And so with that, I'm going to kind of bring this, uh, this podcast here to a close. I want to appreciate, I appreciate the time that you've spent with us talking about some of your research, some, of, a lot. some of your experiences. So with that, again, thanks to our audience today for joining us. I really hope that you found this episode of the Weeds Are Wild podcast series on the Arkansas Row Crops Radio to be informative. Uh, and hopefully each of you will tune in to our next podcast series, which is going to be here in two weeks. And that podcast is going to be led by Dr. Tom Barber. So with that, again, thanks, Prashant. Uh, look forward to seeing you soon. Thank you, Dr. Nosworthy. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Again, thanks for joining us. For this episode of the Weeds Are Wild podcast series on the Arkansas Row Crops Radio. Arkansas Row Crops Radio is a production of the University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture. For more information, please contact your local county extension agent or visit uaex.uada.edu.